0: hey guys it's heaven from just a girl and true crime tonight we are going to be doing the case that i said i was going to upload saturday um it's still like saturday night but it's almost sunday morning here um i've just been busy with the weekend and doing this case so and i was watching the doc series so as you know if you follow my instagram we are going to be doing the case of Richard Ramirez. So his name, Ricardo Livana Munzo Ramirez, or known as Richard Ramirez to everybody, was born February 29th in 1960 in El Paso, Texas. He was the youngest of um, Julian and Mercedes Ramirez. Out of all five children. If you hear my husband snoring, I'm sorry. He's overtired, so <laughs> I apologize. His father, Julian, was a Mexican national informer. Ja- Juan Nazar, Mexico policeman, who later became a laborer in the Santa Fe Railroad. Um, He actually had prone fits of anger, and that often resulted in fits of physical abuse. Richard had begun smoking marijuana at the age of 10, and bonded with Mike over joints and glory war stories. At the age of 12, Richard, or like they used to call him Richard or Richie, that's what he was known to as his family, Um, But I'm just going to refer to him as Richard, because that just seems about right. So, Richard was strongly influenced by his older cousin, Miguel, or known as Michael Ramirez, a decorated U.S. Army green barrette um, combat veteran who often boasted of these gruesome explodents I feel like I said that wrong so I apologize during the Vietnam War he would also share polarides of his um of his of his victims including Vietnamese Vietnamese women who he had raped In some of the photos, Mike posed with the severed heads of the woman he had abused. Mike taught his younger cousin, so Richard, some of his military skills, such as killing with stealth. Like, how would any parent be okay with that? But beats me, honestly. At this time, Richard began to seek escape from his father's violent temper by sleeping in the local cemetery. That's definitely not weird at all. That's totally normal. So on May 4th, 1973, his cousin Mike, you remember him? I just mentioned him. Yeah, he um, fatally shot his wife, Jessie, in the face with a point thirty three caliber revolver during a domestic argument. And Richard was present when his cousin shot her. After the shooting happened, Richard became sullen and withdrawn from his family and peers. Yeah, I mean, that's fucked up, as anybody would draw away, because that's just crazy to experience, right? Later that year, he moved in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, an obsessive, peeping Tom, who actually took Richard along with his not along with him on his like nocturnal trips. Yes. I think that'd be a great thing to bring a child on. I mean, come on, guys. We don't do that. You don't know. Mm, okay. Richard had begun using LSD and cultivated on Cultivated an interest in Satanism. Sorry, I couldn't read my notes. I wrote it in orange, so it's very light. (laughs) Yikes. That's what I said. Um, Mike was eventually found not guilty of his wife. Jesse's murdered by reason of insanity and was released in 1977 after four years of incarceration at the Texas State Mental Hospital. But his influence over Richard still continued. The adolescence of Richard began to meet his burglary, I'm sorry, his blurgeon sexual fantasies with violence including forced bondage, bondage and rape. While still in high school, he took a job at a local Holiday Inn where he used his passkey to rob see- sleeping patrons, um, and then his employment ended abruptly after a hotel guest returned to his room to find Richard attempting to rape his wife. Like, who does that when you know there are guests in there and she's probably you probably checked them in or something or whatever you did, carry their bags. You know what happened, and you knew she wasn't alone. Come on. Um, but unfortunately, oh, hold on. Although the husband beat Richard senseless at the scene, criminal charges were eventually dropped when the couple who lived out of state declined to return to testify against him. I mean, I guess like if they did testify against him, maybe I dropped my phone. Maybe he wouldn't, the brutal stuff wouldn't have happened, but I don't know, because he might have got out or whatever eventually, but moving on, um, Richard then dropped out of Jefferson High School in the ninth grade, and then at the age of 22, he moved to California where he settled permanently so it's no secret that that richard did have a terrible childhood but that clearly doesn't excuse him for what he did to these people i'm going to take a quote from morbid because i listen to them faithfully monday through friday when i work my full-time job you can feel bad for the kid but not the adult version of them so when they're grown up and they still and they commit these heinous acts you don't feel bad for them. I mean, yeah, your childhood sucked. My childhood sucked, but you don't see me murdering anybody. I live a normal life. So now we're going to hop into the murders. Um, And this is a lot and brutal. So oh, if you don't want to hear it, just skip the episode because it's bad. I could not believe what I wrote because I went through details of every murder. And I was like, oh my god, if I have to write rape one more time I'm gonna lose my shit alright so on April 10th 1984 Richard murdered a 9 year old Chinese American Mei Lang, in the basement of the hotel where he was living in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco. I thought that said tender bin, and I was like, wait, that's not right. That's why it took me so long. He raped and beat the girl before stabbing her to death and hung her body from a pipe. This was Richard's first knowing knowingly kill. He was not initially identified as be as beginning connected to the subsequent subsequent crime spree now what i'm about to say i'm gonna relap i'm gonna go re back go over it at the end because it'll make sense in 2009 richard's dna was matched to a sample obtained at this crime scene in 2016 officials disclosed evidence of a second suspect identified through dna the sample was retrieved from the scene who was who is believed to have been at lang's murder our authorities have not identified the suspect described as them being a juvenile at that time and have not brought charges because of the lack of evidence but like i said i will get back to that at the end Now to the other crimes he did. On June 28, 1984, 79-year-old Jenny Vincow was found brutally murdered in her apartment in Glassell Park, Los Angeles. She had been repeatedly stabbed while she slept in her bed, and her throat slashed so deeply that it near she was basically nearly decapitated. Richard's fingerprint was found on a mesh screen he removed to gain access uh, access through an open window, not without. On March 17, 1985, Richard attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez outside of her home in Rosemead, California, shooting her in the face with a .22 caliber handgun. After she pulled into her garage, she survived when the bullet ricocheted off of her keys She as she held them in her hand to block them, to protect herself. Inside her house was her roommate, Dale Yoshi, I'm going to pronounce this last name wrong. I'm actually going to pronounce a lot of last names wrong. So it's Okazi and she was 34 who had heard the gunshot and ducked behind the kitchen counter when she saw Richard enter the kitchen. She eventually raised her head above the counter, and he saw her there, and shot her in the forehead, and that killed her. Within the hour of the Rosemead home invasion, Richard pulled 30-year-old, work it said in the it said in the place I got it like they called her Veronica I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name so she pulled he pulled Veronica out of her car in Monterey Park California and shot her twice with a .22 caliber handgun and fled she was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital the two murders and one attempted murder in a single day attractive attracted extensive coverage from news media who dubbed the curly-haired attacker with bulging eyes and widespread rotting teeth ew the walk-in killer and the valley intruder so that's what they gave him the names I mean, who would murder someone in, like, in a single day? That's crazy. All right. On March 27th, 1985, Richard entered a a home that he burglarized a year earlier in Witter, California, at approximately 2 a.m., and killed the sleeping Vincent Charles zazara age 64 with a gunshot to his head from a .22 caliber handgun his wife maxine levine zazara age 44 was awakened by the gunshot and richard beat her and bound her hands while demanding to know where her valuables were While he ransacked the room, Maxine escaped her bonds and retrieved a shotgun under the bed, which unfortunately was not loaded, which would suck. If I ever had a gun under my bed, I would have to make sure it's loaded or something just in case. This infuriated Richard and then he shot her in the face three times with the .22 caliber handgun then fetched a large carving knife from the kitchen. He mutilated her body by stabbing her several times, then gouged her eyes out and placed them in a jewelry box, which he left with, so he took her eyes. I mean, that's weird. The od- the autopsy determined that the mutilations were post-mortem. Richard leave footprints from a pair of sneakers in the flower beds, which the police photographed and cast. This was virtually the only evidence evidence that the police had at the time. Then bullets were found at the scene where they matched the previous attacks, and at that moment the police realized a serial killer was at large. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a good uh, good, good evaluation. Vincent and Maxine's bodies were discovered by their son, Peter. Oh, that'd be rough. I would never want my kids to um, find my dead body if something were ever to happen like that. That would just be... Fuck me up, you know? On May 14th in 1985... Richard returned to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill Doy, age 66, and his disabled wife, Lillian, 56 years old. Surprising Bill in his bedroom, Richard shot him in the face with a .22 semi-automatic pistol as Bill went for his own gun. After he beat the mortality wounded man, unconsciousness, Richard then entered the bedroom of Lillian where he bound her with thumb cuffs, then raped her after he ransacked the home for valuables. Bill died from his injuries in the hospital on that night. So on the night of May 29, 1985, he drove a stolen car to Monrovia, California, and stopped at a house of Maybelle, age eighty-three, and her disabled sister Florence, or Nettie Lang. At, and she and Florence was eighty-one. He found a hammer in the kitchen. Kitchen. I don't know why I said it like that. And bludgeoned and bound Lang. In her bed, the bound in the bludgeoned bell before using an electric cord to shock the woman. Like, what the fuck? How are you going to do that to somebody? That's rude. After raping Lang, he used Bell's lipstick to draw a pentagram on her thighs, as well as on the walls of both of the bedrooms. The woman were found two days later. Alive, but in a comatose. Um, Unfortunately, Belle later died of her injuries. The next day, he drove the same car, the stolen one, to Burbane? Burbane, California, and snuck into the home of Carol Kyle, age 42, at gunpoint, he bound Kyle and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs, then ransacked the home. He released Kyle to direct him to where the family's valuables were, and then he raped her repeatedly. Richard also um, basically told her not to look at him telling her at one point he would cut her eyes out. He fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together again with handcuffs. See, now you're just throwing children into it, and it is so wrong. Like, that's disgusting. The night of July 2nd, 1985, he drove the car to Arcadia, California, and just randomly selected the house of Mary Louise, Cannon, age 75. After quietly entering the widowed grandmother's home, he found her asleep in the bedroom. He bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lamp and stabbed her repeatedly with a loin butcher knife from her kitchen she was found dead at the scene so that's sad on july 5th 1985 he broke into a home in sierra madre madrid i want to say Madre, california and bludgeoned 16 year old whitney bennett with a tire iron she was asleep in her home after searching in vain for a knife from the kitchen, he attempted to strangle her with a telephone cord. He was startled to see that the electrical sparks emanated from the cord and when his victim began to breathe, he fled the house believing Jesus Christ had returned, I mean not returned, had intervened and saved her. She survived the savage beating, although four hundred and seventy-eight stitches were required to close the lacerations to her scalp. Four hundred and seventy-eight. Let let's just let that sink in. That's a lot of fucking stitches. On July seventh, in nineteen eighty-five, a lot of these happened in nineteen eighty-five. So I'm sorry if you think I'm saying it a lot. He burglarized the home of joyce lucille nelson 61 years old in monterey park finding her asleep on the couch he beat her to death using his fist and kicking her in the head i mean damn your fist what the hell a shoe print was found from his sneaker And it was left imprinted on her face. I can't even fathom how hard you would have to kick somebody in the head to leave a shoe print on their face. I didn't think that was possible. But I guess it was. And that is sick. After cruising two other neighborhoods, he returned to Monterey Park and chose the home of Sophia Dickman, age sixty-three. He assaulted her he assaulted and handcuffed her at gunpoint, attempted to rape and steal her jewelry, and when she swore to him that he had taken everything of value, he quote, told her, Swear to Satan. Mm -mm -mm. On July 20th in, you know the year, 1985, Richard purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glenda, California. He chose the home of Leah Keating, age 66, and her husband, Maxon, 68. He bursted into the sleeping couple's bedroom and hacked them with the machete. Then killed them with shots to the head from the from a .22 caliber handgun. He further mutilated their bodies within the with the machete before robbing the house of the valuables. You know he. I was writing these notes down and I just wanted to it was the thing that popped in my head. I wonder if he ever like um since he robbed I wonder if he actually like any, got anything valuable. But I don't know. That that's just me. That was just a thought. I'm not condoning this. So approximately at four fifteen he then broke into the home of Kovanith of the Kovaneth family. He shot the sleeping Chanarong Kovaneth in the head with a point twenty-five caliber handgun, killing him instantly. He then repeatedly raped and beat Somkid I'm not going to pronounce the last name because I feel like I'm butchering it. He bound the couple's eight-year-old son before dragging Some kid around the house to reveal the location of any valuables, which he stole. During the assault, he demanded that she swear to Satan that she wasn't hiding any money from him. Yep, and I'm just going to put this out here now. If somebody ever broke into my house or did something crazy and they told me to swear to Satan, I'm probably going to do it if I have to live. I don't believe in... Not believe. I don't follow Satan. I definitely believe in God, and I believe he's my savior, but I'm not going to go into that. But if somebody asked me to swear to Satan in that time, if I was in danger, I probably would. Like, that's that's no joke. So, on August 6th, in 1985, he drove to Northridge, California, broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson... <clears throat> Excuse me. He crept into the bedroom, and startled Virginia Twenty Seven, and shot her in the face with his .25 caliber semi-automatic handgun. So it seems like he's switching back and forth for gu- for with guns for some reason, and I I don't know why, but it's just bizarre to me. He then shot Chris in the neck and attempted to flee, but. Chris being the strong manchal man he seems to be, fought back while avoiding being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Richard did manage, before he escaped, so he did manage to escape, but on the good news is they both survived the injuries that happened to them. On August 8th in 1985, he drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar, California and chose the home of. So, Sakina Abobwath, age 27, and her husband, Ellis Abobwath, 31. Sometime after 2.30 in the morning is when he entered the house, and he went into the master bedroom. He instantly shot and killed Ellis with his gun to the head, his .25 caliber handgun to be exact. He handcuffed and beat um, his wife, forcing her to, re- to reveal the location for the jewelry, and then brutally raped her. He repeatedly demanded her to swear to Satan that she would not scream during the attack. Just to make matters worse, this is with a kid, a young kid, so trigger warning. Their three-year-old walked into the bedroom, and he tied up the child and then continued to rape his mom, the child's mom, which is so sad. Um, After he left, she untied her son and sent him to the neighbors for help. Of course... Of course, he had been following the media coverage from his crimes, um, and he eventually and left LA, and then he went to San Francisco Bay Area. So he was keeping up with it for sure. August eighteenth, nineteen eighty-five, he entered the home of Peter, not Peter, Peter and Barbara Pan. I don't know why I said Peter. It made me think of that Family Guy. So you are like Peter. Or, like, morbid when they do them funny voices when they go, Peter! Like, about the husband? Anyway, getting off track. Alright. Um, he shot sleep the sleeping Peter, age 66, in the temple with a .25 caliber handgun, and then beat and sexually assaulted Barbara, age 62, before shooting her in the head, leaving her for dead. At the crime scene... Richard used lipstick to scrawl a pentagram and the phrase, Jack the Knife, on the bedroom wall. When it was discovered that the ballistics in the shoe print evidence from the L.A. crime scene matched the pan-crime scene, San Francisco's then-mayor, Diane Feinstein, um deludged the info in a television press conference and this leak infuriated detectives case as they knew the killer would be following media coverage and which Richard did indeed do that and it would give him an opportunity to um, destroy critical forensic evidence since like I said he was watching he ended up dropping his size 11 and a half sneakers over the side of the Golden, Grape, Golden Gate Bridge later that night. He stayed in the area for a few more days before heading back to the L.A. area. August 24, 1985, Richard traveled 76 miles south of L.A. in a stolen orange Toyota to Mission Vigil? That night, he arrived at the home of James Romo Jr., who had just returned home from a family vacation in Rosuto Beach in Mexico. His 13 year old son had happened to be awake and heard Richard's footsteps outside the home. Thinking that there was a prowler, he went to wake up his parents and Richard fled the scene. But the son raced outside and noted the color, make, and style of the car as well as a partial license plate number. Way to go, James. The dad then contacted the police with this info, believing believing that James must have scared him away. After this encounter... He broke into the house of Bill Karis, age 30, and his fiancee Inez Erickson, 29. Came in through the back door and entered the sleeping couple's bedroom, and awakened Carnes when he cocked his .25 caliber handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention on, attention to Erickson. Richard told the terrified woman that he was the night stalker and and forced her to swear that she loved Satan as he beat her with his fists and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing whatever he could find, he then dragged her to another room and raped her. He demanded cash and more jewelry and made her swear to Satan that there was no more. Before leaving the home, he told Erickson, tell them the Night Stalker was here. She untied herself and went to get help for her severely injured fiancé. Surgeons removed two of the bullets from his head and he survived his injuries, which that is so great. I didn't think you could survive a gunshot to the head, but her fiancé did so good for him. She then gave a detailed description of her assailant to investigators and police, obtained a cast of his footprint from the Romeo, Romero, sorry, house. The car stolen was found on August 28th in Wilshire Center and L.A., and police obtained a single fingerprint. From the rear view mirror despite his careful efforts to wipe the car clean of his prints um, and there actually was a print that belonged to richard who was described as a 25 year old drifter from texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations Law enforcement officials decided to release the media a mugshot of Richard from December 12th in 1984. arrest for auto theft and the night stalker finally had a face. At the police press conference, it was announced that they said this, We know who you are now, and soon everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide. He was also suspected su- he was also suspected in this crime on the night of june twenty seventh in nineteen eighty five thirty two year old Patty Elaine Higgins was murdered in her Arcadia home. The crime was um, on- was only discovered on July second when she didn't show up for work. Her attacker sodomized her, strangled her, and slashed her throat. He was charged with the murder and burglary in relation to Higgins' murder, but the charges were eventually dropped in this case because of lack of concrete physical evidence linking the Higgins murder to the Night Stalker crimes. So they weren't really able to pin it on him. On august thirty first, thirty first in nineteen eighty five, he took a bus to Tuscan, Arizona to visit his brother unaware that he'd become the lead story in a in virtually every major newspaper and television news program across California. After failing to meet his brother, he did return to LA early in the morning of August 31st. He walked past police officers who were staking out the bus terminal in hopes to catch the killer should he attempt to flee on an outbound bus. Um, he then went into a convenience store. So obviously they didn't notice him or they didn't catch him. Clearly. Mm-hmm. He went into a convenience store in East LA. Mm-hmm. After noticing a grump of elderly Mexican women. Fearfully identifying him as El Matador. Mm-hmm. Or... Known in English, the killer, I hope I pronounced that right in Spanish. I took like three years and I can't really hold a conversation. When Richard saw his face on the front pages of newspaper, the newspaper racks, and he, when he saw that, he just fled in a panic. After running across the Santa Ann freeway, he attempted to carjack a woman, but was chased away by bystanders who pursued him. After hopping over several fences and attempting two more carjacks, he was eventually subdued by a group of residents. One, this is funny and I love it, one whom struck him over the head with a metal bar in the pursuit. The group held Richard down and relentlessly beat him until the police arrived and they were able to actually take him into custody. I mean, good for them. Those people all should get a medal, for catching him because that is awesome so jury selection began on july 22nd in 1988 at his first court appearance at his first court appearance richard raised his hand with a pentagram drawn it, drawn on it and yelled hail satan yep he yelled hail satan guys so on august 3rd Nineteen eighty-eight, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard him planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun which he smuggled into the courtroom. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside and um, there was very intensive searches that were conducted on people who entered the courtroom or courthouse. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, did not arrive at the courtroom. She was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified as they could not help wonder whether he had something to do with it. Um, had something to do with her death even though he was inside of a jail cell. I mean, you would... Half, you, you would have to like wonder about that, but it was determined later that he actually wasn't responsible for her death. She was killed by her boyfriend, who later committed suicide with the same weapon in a hotel room. And to that, I say that guy is a coward to me. I mean, suicide if you're gonna do shoot somebody, if you're gonna take somebody's life and commit suicide, that I just see it being a coward way out. That's just my opinion. The alternate juror, who was replaced by Singletary, was too frightened to return to her home. Um, Then on September 20th in 1989, Richard was convicted of all charges, 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted rapes, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial, on November 7th, 1989 he was sentenced to die in california's gas chamber he stated to reporters after the death sentence this is what he said big deal death always went with the territory see you in disneyland richard you're not going to disneyland okay by the time his trial had Oh, by the time of his trial, he had fans who were writing him letters and paying him visits in jail. One, what is it with people being obsessed, like, with serial killers writing to them and just visiting them? Like, that's just weird. Y'all know what he did, right? Like, you saw the same stuff I saw. Obviously not. Beginning in 1985... So we're going to go back a little bit. Doreen Loi wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. In 1988, he then proposed to Doreen. And on October 3rd, 1996, I was like three months old when this happened, when the, their engagement happened. Or actually, I'm sorry, when they got married. And they got married in Cal St. Quentin, state prison for many years but then they were married for like many years before his death Doreen stated that she would commit suicide when he was executed but they but she eventually left him in 2009 and this is where I'm gonna go back to the murder of the nine-year-old after the DNA like I said was confirmed that he had raped and murdered the 9-year-old Mei Leng. Um, so there's that. Yeah, they stayed married for a long time though. That's crazy. I don't know how you do a prison relationship. I, I couldn't do it, but hey. By the time of his death, he was engaged to Christine Lee, who was a 23-year-old female writer. And I couldn't find anything on that, so that's where that was. By some estimate, um, he would have been in his early seventies before his execution was carried out due to the California California's lengthy appeal process. So he did apply, he did apply for some appeals and everything, but they were both denied. Um, and then I, I saw this thing about mental health, so I decided to write it down. A psychiatrist named Michael H. Stone describes Richard as a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. He said that Richard Richard's personality, I can't read my other thing. Richard's personality disorder contributed to his indifferences to suffering of his victims and his untreatability but unfor well, unfortunately before they could put him to death, Richard died of complications secondary to B cell lymphoni lympho lymph- I'm sorry, <laughs> lymphomia <laughs> at Marin, Marin General Hospital in Green Bay, California, on June seventh, two thousand and thirteen. He had also been affected by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection. So, at the age of fifty-three, year, at um, not at the age, at fifty-three years old, he had been on death row for more than twenty three years and you know that's really it of richard ramirez and this is what my husband is so loud and i apologize if you hear this the whole time like dang um i only have one i have a couple things to say to richard Welp, richard i hope is i hope hell is treating you well bye you ass hat. rot in hellfire and, you know, since you made everybody else, like, swear to Satan and say they love Satan, I really hope you're uh swearing how much you love Satan for all the hell you caused in every one of those single person's lives. Because nobody deserves to be treated like that. And that is just fucked up what you did, Richard. So, like I said, rotten hell. Anyway, guys, that is the podcast. I was actually going to do this in two parts, but I decided... I can put it all together and make one podcast like my normal length. Um, that is the story, like I said, of Richard Ramirez. Um, follow me on Instagram at Just a Girl True Crime. Send me an email at Just a Girl in True Crime at gmail.com. Um, I've not made the Facebook yet, so I'm definitely going to make that tomorrow because. I'm off work, so that's why I'm recording at 1230 at night, because I don't have to be at work tomorrow. Um, Also, I'm thinking of probably making a Snapchat, and I'm possibly going to make a Twitter. So, please share this podcast with your friends. Like my podcast, hit the bell, or like the little notification to let you know that I've uploaded new all the time. I upload every Wednesdays and Saturdays, but in this case, it was Wednesday and Sunday morning. Oh, I'm sorry, not Sunday morning, Monday morning because of my hectic weekend. I don't know what Wednesday is going to be. I'm still thinking of what I'm going to do. It's going to be something small. Like I said, they're my Minisodes, that's what I call them. Minisodes instead of mini-episodes. Um, So they're always going to be like short. They're not going to be like almost an hour long. Um, Friday, I have a couple cases that I think I'm going to do. I either probably want to do Charles Manson, but that'll probably be a two-parter. So I might do that one or I have another one in mind that I'm going to do. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening and thank you for all of your love and support. I appreciate all of you, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast that I've brought to you. All right, guys, I will be talking to you Wednesday.